everybody, and welcome to a new episode of StartupRad.io, your podcast show with startup news and interviews from Germany. Welcome back, Sebastian. Hello, Jan. Last time we talked about Consulta.com, the marketplace, what you're providing as services, how you get your experts, and what you do for the customers. This time, I'd like to talk about a little bit more personal with you because you're a German citizen and you set up a company in the United States. Could you provide us a little bit with an idea of the structure Consulted actually has right now? Sure. So the structure of Consulted is pretty interesting. There is a uh, Inc., there's a Delaware uh, C Corp, as it is called in the US, which is headquartered in San Francisco. And this uh, Inc., has a subsidiary in Germany in Berlin, which is our, uh, it's a GmbH, German limited entity. And uh, it's a 100% subsidiary of the uh, American company. So from an external perspective, uh, all the marketplace operations are run by the, by the Inc. And for example, even the investments and so forth would all go uh, via the Inc., And the German company is a, let's say, service uh, service uh, company, which is exclusively operating for the Inc. So that's how it's set up. So now that you have it, it sounds pretty easy. But um, when we talked about it before, basically, you've been working with your wife in Berlin in in this startup and then you had the idea and I think it it quite took some time and some steps uh, to get there. I think you don't decide overnight, oh, let's do a company incorporated in Delaware and set up a headquarter in Silicon Valley. That's, that's not your first th thought that just comes to your mind, right? It's correct. So what we did actually mm, when we came up with the idea, we looked at other marketplaces. So how do they do it, right? And we came across only marketplaces, at least the larger ones, which are set up from the US or in the US. And we were actually in the beginning quite puzzled, why is that? And maybe it's just because these were first and um, um, other sort of countries only sort of or did not produce any um, any companies initially in that specific sector. Uh, but in the end, I think it's a combination of this with another factor that in the US, I think when you want to create a global company, it's much easier to operate it from the US than, let's say, from a European country. When it comes to, for example, uh, how you do the VAT taxation on a marketplace, right? So in, in the US, there is no VAT on services, whereas in Germany or other European states is, right? So when you think this through, you would have a sort of communication issue and a pricing issue when talking to um, your customers on the marketplace, right? So for example, think of the use case. You have a Brazilian expert, and a, uh, an advice seeker from Singapore, and suddenly there would be some European VAT involved in the transaction, and they would be at least questioning why is this happening, whereas other marketplaces they may have used before, it's not the case, right? So 
I see. And also in Germany, we have 19% value-added tax, so it would increase the price by about 20% just for being located in Germany. Right? Yeah, so the marketplace, so the, the portion of uh, the total value create, um, the marketplace portion, that for sure would. Yeah. So that's one reason. The other reason, and that it's, it's not only one, right? And there are also good arguments why you could actually uh, do that in Europe, right? It's always a um, sort of you have to weigh the factors, what's right for the business at that given time, right? Another uh, factor was access to funding, the network, obviously, in Silicon Valley of angel investors, early stage seed financing and so forth is uh, larger there as well. And then you have. Did you actually get financing? We got some financing, uh, however, not from the Silicon Valley. That was before we moved physically out there, right? We got some, some initial angel funding from, uh, German angel investors, yes. And okay, I see. And then you decided, okay, Silicon Valley is the place to be. And how did you actually get, I just call it the legal umbrella in Delaware? So that's actually an easy part. So once you make a decision to found a company in the U.S., it's super simple to do so. However, it's much harder to actually be able to work there, right? So to answer your question... <laughs> that's convenient. <laughs> exactly. So, so you can pretty much, if you wanted to, do everything online and do it for a couple of hundred dollars. I don't know whether it's the smarter thing to do we clearly did not do it like this we got some legal help from an international law firm with offices um, in berlin and silicon valley and many many more around the world which helped us setting up the company correctly and i think that's mm, pretty much important when you know some external financing that you want to uh, get your house in order and we just want to to get the setup right from the start. But as I said, founding a company is pretty straightforward. It's more that you also have to be able to work there, right? And as in every jurisdiction I can think of in the world, you need some legal permit to do so. Uh, in Europe, we are quite fortunate that we can, at least as a European citizen, uh, uh, move around and pretty much work everywhere we feel like it. So if you, let's say, want to work in Paris tomorrow, you can actually just go there and work uh, without getting any paperwork, as far as I know, at least. However, in the U.S., what you need is a work permit. So with that in mind, you have to apply for a visa. Now, you can imagine that it's much harder to get a visa if you apply for with your own company you just have founded. Because in general, if people move uh, to the US and work there, they do this for existing companies, and existing companies are typically the larger, let's think of uh, Microsoft or an Oracle or Facebook or Google, and they have what is called blanket visas. Uh, it's sort of a frame agreement with the government in place where they have a certain allowance to um, sort of get people visa, work visas very, very quickly. Um, however, you don't have that as a small company. So what you got to do is you got to fill out the largest visa application, uh, which is out there for the U.S. It's about as thick as a phone book, if people still remember those, but uh, um, a very big application, very thick application. And we got that done uh, by working together with legal counsel uh, in Washington, uh, which prepared um, that application for us. And the American embassy who is reviewing it, and that's the one in Frankfurt, uh, in case you do it from Germany, 
um, they really take care of reading through this application and ask some critical questions in your visa interview. Sort of if you comply with the process, then um, you should also be able to get this visa and be able to work. And that was the case for us as well. However, uh, it's obviously not as fast um, as a tourist visa. And many Europeans didn't even need a tourist visa to go to the U.S., it's actually a process which took us from start to end around three months. Okay, so bottom line, you got to fill out a phone book. Correct. You got to know what's in there, answer the questions, and you're good to go. Yeah, this plus sort of it's always a case-by-case -case decision, right? It, it all has to make sense. And they obviously want to prevent that somebody just pretends to have a company there They need to be convinced as a real company. They need to be convinced that the business plan is at least somewhat sound, right? And it always helps if we got some external financing already lined up. And, uh, and yeah, I think the only other requirement is that uh, you have to be from a treaty country. So they don't allow that uh, from every country in the world. And Germany is, happens to be one of the treaty countries. I see. So basically what you also should put in your application is a letter from Mr. X and Y um, who uh, adds um, a bank statement and says out of this money, I do commit 50,000 euros to the setup of consulted. Yeah, you actually have to commit it, right? It's, it's not enough that you say you want to. It's actually you have to prove that you already have and it needs to be, they call it irrevocably uh, committed to the ventures so mm -hmm. and take it out afterwards. Your basic advice would be, if you want to do it in the U.S., work with someone who has some understanding of it and helps you to guide through the process. Yeah, I think the, the first advice I would give is be very sure that you it's actually required for your business to do so and really know why you, why you really need it. Because obviously it's much easier um, to just found a business where you are uh, and just get going. Have be convinced that there are enough reasons out there to go down that process and path um, before you attempt to do so. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine the <laughs> officer who interviewed you and asked why you set that up in the United States, and, and you said, "Hey, you don't tax that." <laughs> um, not, but, but as I said, right, taxation is maybe one part, but it cannot be the only reason why you do it, right? It needs to be a compelling a compelling business story, right? And taxation mm -hmm. alone would have not made us move, right? It's one factor, which makes it obviously easier. Then there's financing, then you have access to some some great people in the valley, the network you can you have there. The fact that most all of the larger marketplaces, global marketplaces are based in the valley is not an accident. I think it's by design. So that's something you have to keep in mind. Yeah, that whole set of, of factors which go into the decision. Right? Also, I think we did not do it this time in the first episode, but you actually take some cut out of the, 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 the money the expert gets in order to finance your business. That's how you generate your revenue. Yeah, it's pretty much common for a lot of marketplaces. I think eBay does that. Um, even Amazon does that when you uh, sort of sell as an 
a third-party seller on Amazon. It's very typical for marketplaces to make money like this, right? And there are some other more, let's say, specialized marketplaces uh, which do that. In addition, they charge for some value-added services like, let's say, some, I, I know of legal marketplaces uh, who do that, where you can feature uh, your own profile by paying some money. I think eBay Kleinanzeigen, right? The German... Um, uh, yeah, small advertisement. Correct. Yes, the German service advertisement. Absolutely. They uh, allow you to pay X euros to get your whatever you want to sell uh, being featured all the way up in the stream for a certain amount of time uh, and they guarantee more views uh, by paying a little bit extra money. These are the two typical revenue sources uh, marketplaces have, right? The cut of whatever transaction value there is, plus maybe some value-added services. And right now, uh, we focus on the first part, which is the cut. I assume you're already quite professional in filling out paperwork, maybe in English or in German, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, okay. And... Um, When we discussed this up front, um, you, you, just to highlight some of the complexities there involved there, uh, you told me the story about an intern from the US Correct. that he wanted to hire in Berlin. Can you tell just this story as a kind of example, what complexities lie in there if you do decide to make a startup on two continents at the same time? Yeah, it's, I think that's not so much about whether it's two continents or one, but it's um, you've also been here in Germany long enough, right? Uh, in um, in the in the workforce to to understand and appreciate. In Germany, there is a tendency for a lot of forms and a lot of um, sort of loops and hoops to uh, jump through. And um, I can hear you right? smile when you say that. And yes, totally true. Right. So. The same is true if you apparently want to hire uh, interns from abroad, from outside of Europe. You certainly can, and there is a process for it. The Arbeitsagentur, which um, is sort of the employment agency in Germany, uh, they have a team which focuses only on approving those type of work. So you, you need a work permit, and that's granted by the team for interns uh, who come from abroad. And that process is well described. However, they already say in the application papers it can take up to six to eight weeks to get an approval. Now, you probably know from your own times as an, as an intern, very often you don't have an internship lined up eight weeks in advance, let alone having time to apply for a visa and uh, going through all of the motions there. And that's something yes. which certainly makes it, let me put it uh, in some nice way, harder for companies who have excellent people who are willing to work for them from abroad that they actually can uh, sort of tap into those, uh, into those resources from abroad, right? It's unnecessarily difficult and complicated. Because if, if I uh, remember correctly, so I did actually two internships in Singapore, And I had my work permit within 24 hours, and I got it uh, via PDF, via email. Right? I printed it out. I went there. I could migrate into the, comp uh, into the country, and I got a little green card, which is, which is basically your work permit that you're allowed to work there. 
So it's possible. If I do remember it come correctly from my side. It took eight weeks. I had to ask a Chinese friend to help me to fill out all the forms. Right. And if I would not have been an intern with the Chinese government, I think correct it would have never worked. But I'm totally with you. That's right. So usually a tiresome process. Yeah. So so it's uh, and I also um, worked in the U.S. as a student, and it also was much quicker to to do so. The point is this: there's probably very good reasons why certain processes are in place and they make a lot of sense uh, when you think them up. However, in this day and age, you need to, as a country, compete globally with all the other countries, right? And the businesses within those countries have to make uh, due with what is there, right? And based by example, if there are other countries who can just do it in one day versus eight weeks, it doesn't make sense that it should take eight weeks, right? You should at least put in some effort to cut down the time to some more uh, a meaningful uh, uh, time frame where you can actually work with as a business, right? I'm still fine if it's like two or three weeks, but certainly two months is something which it, it's just not feasible, right? If you want to work with interns. Especially for the internship, I do agree with you on that. On on the other hand, I do think they they may be on the right way if they have one team who works with all the international interns. It would be, I think, much more of a nightmare if you always had to go to the people on the ground, for example, in Berlin or in Frankfurt or everywhere and just work with them and they've never seen something like that before. Okay, fine. So I'm, I'm, I agree that they at least made some right decisions, right? But there still there's a lot of things uh, which are broken, right? Um, for example, that you still have to present physical paper with your signature and company stamp on it, uh, or you get, have to get a university um, certificate of that student that that student actually studies there with the official seal of the university, right? And we got this uh, from Stanford, so our intern, Uh, came from Stanford and they actually had to look for where that seal is uh, in the university to actually issue that correct paper. <laughs> it's it's not too common that it's they not, need right? it. I it's can't not, right? It's not. And you really have to ask yourself that obviously this is something very nice to have, but is it really necessary to to do that? Because you have to get a physical paper somehow from the West Coast to your company, then you have to sign it and you have to get it physically to the team in Bonn, which then physically reviews it. And I'm sure you can think of some smarter and faster process uh, to do that. And that's probably true uh, for many, many more processes when you go found a company, right? So just another example, which is maybe interesting to the listeners is when you set up. So we set up two companies, right? We set up one in the US and we set up one in Germany. In the U.S., you can literally do everything from from your laptop, even signing all the papers to found a company to put it in legal effect. However, so basically, you just fill out forms online and then you confirm your email. Is it something like that? Something like that. I think that's a so they, there's some tracking involved with your IP address to authenticate, but pretty much that's it, right? So. So there is some some law in place where the online signature is sufficient. 
Whereas here, you have to not only sign in person, but also set up a notary appointment and be physically present. And that not only takes your time, it also takes time from somebody else. And obviously, that time doesn't come for free. So founding, the whole process is longer and much more expensive than it can be in other countries, right? And Yeah, and I, I do remember, for example, there's there's one question when you set up um, some form of limited in Germany, mm -hmm. the, the person who will be the CEO has to confirm that he's never been into psychi uh, psychiatry uh, treatment in a clinic, stuff like that, that he's mentally stable and, and sometimes very strange things, which usually uh, uh, generates a laughter when you go through it. Yeah. So I'm not too sure why it is still in place. Yeah, so I think... That's true for many things, right? They have grown organically and there always are good reasons why they're there and they're very hard to take out of the system again. And or at least there were in the past some good reasons. Correct. Uh, those hoops and hoops are there. Correct, correct. So net-net is that you um, have to spend a lot of time while founding a business with a lot of activities which are not really your business, right? And that's very unfortunate. And whatever you can do as a country or as a region to be more efficient makes everyone in the system happier. Yes, I would totally agree with you on that. Would you have some more that you want to share with our listeners? Or should we come to the end of the interview by just asking you for the advice you would give to somebody else who shows up your door right now and says, okay, I want to set up a company. What should I look out for? Sure. I mean, uh, the thing, I think most, the foundation of everything, of founding a company and sort of making it a success is a very strong and well-working uh, founder team, right? It's very hard to do it alone. And it's very hard to do it with a team, uh, which is not 100% working together. Right, so there are companies founded in a way that the founder team has met by a meetup at a meetup two weeks ago, and they decide to found a company, and that may work, but very likely will not. So what I've seen is also with um, uh, founder friends of mine is that the initial team there was some um, prior uh, connection to the founders, and I think that's very important. And we have something similar. The reason for that is that founding a company and creating a business and putting it out, out into the world, this in itself will throw at you so many difficulties that you cannot afford to have some friction within the founding team. So that, I think, would be my number one advice to everyone who is like at the edge of should I found, should I not? I would say go get one, two great co-founders uh, who are equally convinced about the idea and do it with them and don't start with some with something where you're not 100% comfortable. One last question. You talk about um, two or three co-founders. Would you be opposed to a company who says uh, we have 10 founders? What, what do you think is, is the optimal size of a founder team? That's a good question. I think 10 co-founders, that's Interesting. I think I have never seen a company with 10 co-founders. I have for sure seen companies uh, where you only have one co-founder, so the founder, right? That clearly can work. 
However, I think a sweet spot is around two to three people, right? Because the reason for that, I think, is in the beginning, the first, I don't know, five, six months, you have to move mountains where you don't get the usual pay or you or you have uh, weekends or you have normal work hours. And to do that alone is very difficult, right? And finding 10 people who are willing to do that is probably impossible. So what really makes sense is two to three people get a close working team together and, and get it done there. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you very much, Sebastian. It was a pleasure talking to you exactly two times. <laughs> and um, I hope you come back in some time and uh, we can talk about the success of your company. Sure, let's do that. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye.